0: Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, God, we do believe that you're here. God, we, we believe that you're here and you're present with us as we're gathered together. And God, we are here gathered together for you. It's, it's you that we want to meet. It's you that you we want to know. It's you that we want to hear from. God, it's you that we want to worship. And, and I pray for us as we continue to worship you. God, I pray as we look at the word, we would see you and we'd be amazed by you, that you'd work in our hearts, that we'd see you and love you and and know exactly what you would say to us this morning. And God, I also pray for every single one of us that are here that that we would have eyes to see that. But I'm also praying that you would help me to teach. God, I pray you'd help me to teach in demonstration of your spirit and that I would clearly point to you and you alone. God, I pray that we would love you more and know you better because we were here today. And I pray that all in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated hope you're all doing all right this morning um, we are starting a new series so sorry for the curveball there uh, I'll tell you more about that later it's it's honestly just in preparation for us to get ready for Easter Easter is coming and for the church Easter's a big deal I don't know if I don't know if you know that or not but that's kind of Easter and Christmas, those are our biggies, right? That's Jesus being born. That's Jesus coming back from the dead. We we love to celebrate the, the coming of Jesus and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Those are, a, those are the cornerstone of Christianity, and um, it's a cornerstone of who we are as a people, so we want to celebrate that. So I, I want to point out a couple things to you before I jump into our series. If you didn't get one of these bulletins when you came in... Uh, They're by the doors. Just grab some. This tells you what's going on. We are uh, we are prepping for Easter stuff right now, and there's a whole lot on there. Let me tell you kind of what we've got going on just so you can hear from me. And here's what I want you to, I don't want you just to know the schedule for me. I I want you, us as a church family, to deeply engage this. There's areas to serve in and areas to connect in. And I want to encourage us all to kind of engage that and see what God would call you to do to be a part of it. Uh, The first thing is on Thursday night, that's April 1st, not an April Fool's joke. That's just uh, Monday Thursday. It's what it's known. Um, We've been trying to think how to get together as a church in the middle of COVID. And so here's what we're doing. Uh, We're going to do dinner on the grounds. It, It would really, help us if you would pre-register at that webpage so we know how much food to get. We're going to get fried chicken and some other stuff like that. And we're not going to pack into the cafeteria. We've got tons of space outside. So we're doing a good old-fashioned picnic on the football field. So you need to bring a blanket. Pray it doesn't rain. Okay, let's just go ahead and say that. Uh, So as you register, there's also a spot to register. If you can't sit on the ground, we'll have some tables and chairs out there for people who can't get get down. We don't want anyone getting stuck on the ground. I don't, I don't want anyone getting hurt. So just, we're gonna spread out all over the football field. We're gonna eat dinner together and then we'll have a time where we do Lord's Supper and communion together. And that's exactly the, the pace that Jesus did it. It was Thursday night when he had the last supper with the disciples and we wanna remember that. Friday morning, that's the morning that Jesus would have gotten crucified. We're gonna to gather together. We're gonna to open up the sanctuary for a time of prayer from like 6.30 in the morning till, is it 6.30. a.m. to 1.30 p.m. You don't have to be here the whole time. It's just, you can drop in before work, uh, after you drop the kids off at school, on your lunch break. We're gonna open up this space for us to have a time of prayer where you can come in, spend time in prayer. Our our pastors will be around if you need to pray with someone as well. And then Saturday, and this one I'm really excited about as well, we're gonna do an Easter egg hunt. Uh, We think our community, I I think families would love an opportunity to get out and have some kind of good memories. And there are very few places in Tallahassee that have the facilities that we have. Like we can, we got three, four fields. We can go all over the place. So um, we need help, okay? That's why you see like Easter eggs in the back and um, we need help setting up. There's tons of places to sign up. And then we're doing our sunrise service at Cully's on Timber Lane and then our regular Easter service here at 10 a.m. That's a lot on that one weekend. Here's what I want you to know. Two things. One, well, we want you to participate in serving and being a part of this wherever you can. We really do need your help. And here's the other thing. We didn't actually plan to budget for this. Um, and so we're stepping out in faith, doing some of these things that we haven't planned for. If, if you can't serve or if you're interested in giving, you can go online and give uh, to the Isha that'll help pay for the eggs and the candy and, and the chicken, all that stuff. Um, just want you to know about that. Okay. That's that's announcement time with Fayez. It's not my favorite time, but I think you need to know about this stuff. I'm actually really excited about Easter, you guys. Um, I think it's a good time for us to begin to be waking back up as a church, engaging our community and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, I want us to to enjoy this. And so I wanna invite you all to be a part wherever you can and serve wherever you can, especially that Saturday Easter egg hunt. Okay, so um, let me jump into our new series. We've been in Titus for a while. We finished chapter one last week and uh, we're starting a new series called Behold the King. Um, There should be some cool line picture up there. Um, I'm pretty pumped about that line picture. Uh, It's the little things in life that make me happy. Uh, Here's what we're doing. Because Easter is so significant, we don't want to just prep for Easter with a bunch of activity. I, I want us to focus on who Jesus is coming up to Easter. I don't want us just to run through it and have whatever color dress and shirt you're going to wear for Easter Sunday. I don't want you just to have family dinner. There, there's a reason why Easter is a big deal. And I want us to prep our hearts for the coming weeks to worship and know who Jesus is. So we're going to be spending some time in Matthew chapter 21, a little bit of Matthew chapter 22 for all the weeks running up to Easter. And I am really, really excited about it. So if you can turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21, that's what we're jumping into. And I also want to encourage you in your own personal private time with God, now is a great time to start reading some of the Gospels to prepare your heart for who Jesus is. You can go to the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those all tell about the end of the life of Christ. Or you can read one whole Gospel. You need to start reading now to get through it by Easter time. But listen, I I want you to spend time preparing your heart for Easter to be a significant moment of celebration and worship for you. And we do that in the Word. Okay, so here's what's going on. Matthew chapter 21. Jesus is entering Jerusalem. Uh, Listen, he's been getting in fights with the religious leaders left and right. Like he's at like this height of popularity. Like when Jesus comes to town, it's automatic crowds and a lot of crowds and big crowds. And he's He's pretty popular right now. He's kind of a big deal, is the way we would say it. He's, he's the dude, when he rolls into town, there's going to be a huge and massive crowd. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And, and on this trip to Jerusalem, he's doing something a, a little bit different. Let's look and see what he does here. Uh, one other thing you should know, he just raised Lazarus back from the dead like two weeks before. All right, so like a week or two before, he raised Lazarus back from the dead. The last time he was in Jerusalem, they wanted to kill him. So now he's coming back. Uh, ru- rumors about him raising this guy back from the dead are spreading probably like wildfire in Jerusalem. And now he's rolling into town. Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. Here's what it says. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you'll say the Lord needs them and he'll send them at once. So so here's here's his instructions. He's coming up to Jerusalem and he he does something different that he's never done before. He hits pause and says, listen guys, In other Gospels, it looks like he probably prearranges. He goes, I need you guys to go ahead. You're going to find a donkey and a colt. It's like a little baby donkey, but not quite baby, like a teenage donkey. You're going to find a donkey that no one's ever ridden. Okay, now you should know something. That's a crazy thing to try to ride for the first time. I've never personally tried to ride a donkey or a horse that's never been ridden by anyone. But I've seen movies, and I'm telling you, That's not going to go well, right? Uh, And he decides that for his entrance in Jerusalem this time, he wants two donkeys, a mama donkey and a baby donkey that's never been ridden, and he's going to ride on that donkey into Jerusalem. Does that sound weird to anyone else besides me? Okay, there's one, two, five. Okay, I see those heads nodding. If it doesn't sound weird... um, Man, you got some kind of skill set. It just sounds weird to me. Like, and it should sound weird to us because when we think about this, it, like, well, I know the story. Like he goes in, they got palm branches and coats, and everyone's, yay, yay, this is awesome. But but why a donkey? Why this time does Jesus decide that he wants two donkeys, not one, and he specifically wants one that's never been ridden by another person? Why does he do that? Like, well, what's so special about this? And why aren't the disciples going, seriously? Like we've, we've walked this thing a million times and you don't want to walk it anymore. Now today you want two donkeys, two donkeys. And you're very specific about what kind of donkeys. Like, like why don't they hit pause? Why does, everyone, why does no one find this weird? Like, like, here's why, here's what you should know. When Jesus sets this up, he's doing something on purpose. Uh, like and in Mark, you, you kind of see some of this. Um, what he's setting up on purpose is this. He is entering Jerusalem as king he's showing up and he's saying, listen, I'm not walking like a prophet last time. I'm showing up here the way a king rolls into town. Like this, this is how a king is supposed to show up. And the moment that Jesus says, I need you to get two disciples, let me tell you what's probably going on in the disciples' mind. Oh, dude, this is it. Like this is what we've been waiting for. Like all this thing we've been asking him. When are you going to do this? Like when are you going to set up shop? When are you going to be king? When are you going to be ruler? When are you going to step out in front of everyone? We've got all this momentum, and when he does this, it's Passover, the busiest time of the year in Jerusalem. All the Jews are probably gathered to worship God, and he's going to show. They're like, this is a phenomenal entrance. It's a phenomenal marketing scheme. If I'm just really honest, like he's like, listen, I'm going to show up in town like a king, and they're like, whoa, dude, we want this? Like, oh, we're excited. So them getting the donkeys, they're pumped about Jesus coming into town. They're they're pumped about him setting himself up as king. And I I don't think it's a marketing scheme, but it's definitely a clear thing where he's telling everyone, I'm rolling into town like I'm in charge. Listen, that that, that makes them excited. And the crowds seem a little excited about this. Look down at verse six, because the crowd recognizes it as well. Here's what they're saying in verse six. Then the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. And he sat on them, probably on the baby donkey. This is crazy. This thing is calm and sitting underneath him. And mama donkey's with him. And they're walking into town. And the crowd has had time to see what's happening and hear what's happening and understand what's happening. And here's what they think. He's telling us he's king. He's telling us he's the Messiah. And they get pumped. Look at this in verse verse eight, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Like they're taking their jackets and they're saying, dude, he's coming into town. and It's not just putting on the donkey. Like think about how crazy this is. It, it's like the old, the old fashioned, I guess it's 1800s. where so guys would put the jacket down over the puddle so the lady doesn't step in it. y'all know what I'm, is that in my imagination? Okay, good. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Like they're so serious about him coming into town and, and his value and his worth and his dignity. Dude, they're taking their jackets off saying, that donkey can't stop in mud. Like this is the donkey that the king is riding into town in. Like he can't be on plain dirt. It's better for him to walk on my jacket. And they're putting their jackets down. They're cutting down palm branches. And they're, and they're laying them down. Like this is a huge deal, a massive crowd. And for a mile or so, he's walking in or riding into town with crowds all around him, making sure that donkey doesn't touch any dirt. It's phenomenal. And here's what they're doing. Verse nine. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting. Look what they're shouting. Hosanna to the son of David. The word Hosanna, that word means save us. It's a word that would have been used for Hebrews saying, we, we, we want to be saved. Save us now. Save us. It becomes some greeting at some point. It's, it's saying, listen, man, he, the, the son of David, the, the king, the greatest king, a descendant of the greatest king, the next king, man, he's here to save. And they're not a few of them. They're shouting it, and it's getting louder and louder. They're in front of him and behind him screaming, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Like you're saying, listen, we want him to save. Like we're pumped about Jesus coming into town and saving us. Like he's going to be our new king. We're excited about this. God is doing something. This is huge and massive. They're they're super pumped about this. But you know what? Things changed pretty quickly. Because within a week... That same crowd is not saying, yes, King, son of David, save us. They're yelling, crucify him. What happened? Listen, like, like I'm going to tell you, crowds are fickle, right? We know people are fickle, right? Just, I mean, I think Facebook is an obvious example of that. Like, you just, people are fickle, you guys. Like, if you put your trust in what people think of you, it's going to change in like 10 minutes. You just got to know it. And you don't have to do anything. Just be present, But crowds are fickle, man. They'll lead you down the right path and the wrong path, and it'll change just like that. Well, what happened? Well, let me tell you what I think is going on here. When they see Jesus rolling into town like he's king, they know what they think that means. You know what they think that means? He's about to set up shop. He's going to be big and strong. He's going to raise up an army, and he's going to whoop some Roman rear end and have them haul tail out of town. Like it's going to be awesome. He's going to put the people of Israel back on the map. He's going to set up a real kingdom with castles and armies and no one's going to be able to stand against him. Like we're going to be great again. That's what they thought Jesus was rolling into town to do. They were pumped about a warrior king who's going to be strong, and powerful, and get them back to the good old days. The days when David and Solomon ruled. The days when no one could stand against Israel in a fight. The days when everything was good and right and clean. That's what they thought. That's not what he did. Let me show you. Look at... Look at the couple verses I skipped there. Matthew chapter 21, verse four, because they've got this thing about what they think Jesus is doing, but Jesus is coming in in a different way. He's got a different agenda. Look at what it says here, verse four. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, and so this is all prophecy. He's quoting Zechariah nine. Here's what it says. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you And look at this description, humble. Not mighty, not strong, not a warrior. He's coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a beast of burden. Like, like here's what Jesus is now doing. He is clearly telling everyone, I'm coming into town as a king and this is the prophecy about me. Let me me show you that prophecy because I want you to see what it says. Now, there are parts about warrior at the end of it. Let me show you what it says at the very beginning. Look at Zechariah chapter nine. Now, listen, it's going to be hard to find Zechariah. That's not normally a book. We just flip back to the Old Testament. If you can't find it, we'll put it on the screen. But Zechariah. Chapter 9, look at, look at verse 9 here. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see that? He's saying, this is what I'm talking about. I'm your king. I'm rolling into town and I'm coming with salvation and righteousness and I'm coming humble and I'm coming in this way. I'm on a donkey, a foal of a donkey. That's how I'm rolling into town as king. Now now look at what he says he's gonna do. Look at how, what this prophecy says about this king rolling in. Verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off. Look, so here's what he's saying. You're not going to have war instruments anymore. And he shall speak peace to the nations. He's not running Rome out of town. The prophecy said the king's going to roll in humbly and he's going to end war and he's bringing peace. He's speaking peace to the nations. And he shall, his rule shall be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. He's going to rule everywhere. Verse eleven. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant, if you look what he says, he's going to do. I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. I mean, here's what he's saying. He's going to come humbly. He's going to bring peace. He's going to set prisoners free. Like he's he's going to help the oppressed. Here's what he's saying is, listen. There's prisoners that are going to be set free. The oppressed are they're, they're going to get like relieved from their oppression. The rule of this king that's prophesied is one of humility, peace, and restoration. It isn't war. It isn't whooping Rome's we're in. It's not getting back to the glory days. It's peace. Verse 12 Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. He said, listen, you people who have been in prison, like, listen, I'm going to give you hope and I'm going to restore what you lost double what you lost. That's the promise that this king was having. And here's what Israel wanted. Here's what they knew. Here's what this crowd knew. We want a king to get Rome out, to get us back in charge and to make Israel great again. And he showed up saying, I'm bringing peace. I'm, I'm bringing restoration. I'm, I'm proclaiming peace to all the nations, not just the Jews. Listen, I, I want to let you know you, you got to hear this. When you have an expectation of a warrior king showing up, and what you get is a servant, it's disappointing. When your expectation does not meet reality, it's very easy for you to get mad and disappointed. And here's why I'm going with that. The Jews had an expectation that the Messiah would be a certain way. And when he showed up, he didn't match their expectation and it ticked them off. And the problem is when it happened, they actually missed the king you got the wrong expectations, you'll miss the king. And it wasn't that their expectations were too high, that Jesus didn't measure up. His expectations were, it was that their expectations were too low. You know what Israel wanted? They wanted freedom from Rome and they wanted a kingdom that lasted a hundred years. You know what Jesus came to do? Deal with sin, set up an eternal kingdom, save you from damnation forever. Forever. Their expectation was down here and he was doing something way up here. He was doing something better and greater. If he lived up to their expectation, you and I are all damned forever. You realize that? Like if he, if he measured up to the expectations of the people of the day, the worst that ever happened to us is that Jesus doesn't die on a cross for our sins. He knew what was best, and he decided as king he was going to roll into town and he was going to do that. And I want you to hear this. There's some people that got this expectation of Jesus. They want Jesus to make them rich. Some people's expectations that Jesus will make you comfortable, or that Jesus will make life easy, or that Jesus will keep all your traditions or that Jesus will let you be hip and trendy, or that Jesus doesn't care about sexual sin, or that Jesus only cares about sexual sin. Some people want Jesus that is American. Some people want Jesus to be Republican. Some people want Jesus to be Democrat. He's not any of those things. And when the king rolls into town, he rolls in as he is. And our job is not to make him fit into our box. Our job is to see who he is and love it and accept it and let him decide what he's gonna be about. Let him decide what's important. Let him decide how he wants things to be. And listen, we will reinvent Jesus if he doesn't meet our expectations or we will reject him. And we need to humbly let him be who he is and accept it. Listen, Jesus wasn't nervous about Donald Trump being in the White House for the last four years. Jesus isn't nervous about Joe Biden being in the White House for the next four years. Jesus isn't nervous about what Congress does. He's not nervous about what laws they pass or what laws they don't pass. He's not sweating that some Supreme Court's gonna pass a law and make a verdict that he doesn't like. He doesn't care if, if America's financial thing is crashing or not, because America's not the center of God's universe. Let me tell you what he's about. He's about him being king and it doesn't matter. Listen to me. It doesn't matter what happens in our government and in the world around us. He is still king. And here's why I need to say that. Some of us, man, we, we've lost ourselves in the chaos of what's been happening in our country, not just for the last year, but for a while. But it was really serious in the last year, wasn't it? Like we're sitting here saying, man, this is awful. And maybe everything is burning down. I don't know. But even if it burns down, here's what I want you to hear. Jesus is still on the throne. And what I want you to do when you start losing yourself and you start seeing all the horrible news on whatever's happening on the TV, when you feel things getting rattled, when you see stupid laws being passed and crazy politicians and lunatic judges, like, listen, you to take a deep breath and remember that Jesus is still king. And it doesn't matter what anyone does, you can't change that. They can't. And the, the, op- the option we have is when Jesus' rule gets set up, either we will submit to that rule or we'll be crushed by it. That, that's the way it works with Jesus. Man, he's in charge. And listen, I, I get it. Things are crazy. It's frustrating. I see all sorts of stuff that frustrates me. But sometimes we lose the fact that even though things are crazy, Jesus is still in charge. Don't lose that. When the world shakes around you, I want you to remember that Jesus. Is in I'm not saying these things don't matter. I'm saying we need to remember and ground ourselves in the fact that Jesus is King and He can handle this. Listen, I. I and maybe for you, politics isn't the thing that rattles you. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's, you name it. Whatever makes you anxious. You're nervous about your future. You're nervous about your kids. You're nervous about whether or not you'll have a job when you graduate college. You're nervous about five million things. I want you to hear this loud and clear. Jesus is in charge, and he can meet all of your needs. It's what he says he's going to do. He, he shows up, and he does what he says he's going to do at the right time. That, Now listen, that's not the main point that I want to get to because I think the crowds want a warrior king. Jesus shows up as a humble servant king. They want him to whoop Roman rear ends and his decision is I'm going to be crucified by the Romans. It wasn't what they expected and they missed him because of it. And I want you to see what this king that brings peace does. Because in case you think that's all hugs and flowers, look at what he does first thing out of the gate. I love it. He doesn't walk in and have a little kumbaya moment. He goes one place. He doesn't go to the Roman castle. He doesn't go to the house of the religious leaders. He goes straight to the temple. Here's what he does. I love it, man. Listen, Jesus, the thing I love about Jesus is he will literally blow things up he will, he will take your paradigm and he will wreck it all day long. Look at verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and look at what he does. And he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it's written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Listen, I, th- this is crazy. So here he says, I'm coming and I'm bringing peace. They want a warrior, Right. Which, who's the first Roman that's going to get kicked in the teeth when Jesus comes into town? That's what they want. They want freedom from oppressors. And he walks into town, he goes to the temple, and the first person that gets kicked in the teeth is people selling stuff in the temple. He, he goes to town on the religious establishment. Why? What's he doing there? Listen, I'm going to give you a little history lesson. Do you mind history? Okay, good. I'm glad and I'm glad you answered. Y'all are learning. So proud of you. Listen, th- you got to know how this is set up, okay? So here's how the temple worked. The temple, the further you go in the temple, the holier it gets, the more exclusive it gets. At the very deepest part of the temple is called a place called the Holy of Holies. That's a place that only one priest could go in once a year. And the further out you got from there, the less restrictive it got. So as you got out, there's an area that only the priest can go. You gotta be a priest to walk into here and you gotta be a good priest. Then you step a little bit further out and that's where the Jewish men could go, the men who were clean. Then you take another step out and that's where the Jewish men and women could go. Then you take another step out, as far away as you can get from the Holy of Holies and still be in the temple, that's a place called the Court of the Gentiles. That's where you and me could hang out. All right, that's as close as we were allowed to get. Like it you couldn't get any closer. That was the area that you were allowed to pray and try to encounter God. That that was the area of all the people who might have sicknesses and diseases that weren't welcomed into into the inner places of the sanctuary. That was the places for people who weren't born Jewish. They were born of a different nationality. They were kind of the leftovers. Like, man, sorry for you. Wish you would have been born a Jew, but we'll give you a little niche over here where you can pray, but you'll never, you'll never get past that niche. Maybe God will be nice to you one day if you stop eating bacon and pork and change the way you dress and get circumcised. Maybe he'll be nice to you if you follow all the rules, but that's as close as you will ever get. And you know what happened in that area? The, the, the religious leadership decided, you know what? We wanna make it easier for our people to worship, more convenient for the Jews. And they set up in that outer court of the Gentiles, the place where everyone else was allowed to worship, the place where the outcasts were allowed to worship. They set up a place for everyone to show up and to buy their sacrifices, their pigeons, their their cattle, their sheep, they bought all that stuff, the place where they would get their money that they needed to be converted for the temple tax and for worshiping God. You couldn't just swipe a debit card or drop a check in the giving box. It had to be a certain type of currency for you to worship God in there. You had to get it changed over from your Money to their money. And in the middle of that area where they were supposed to worship, they set up this bazaar, this ancient marketplace. Think about that. Anybody here ever been overseas and been to a marketplace in a third world country? Did that smell awesome. Was that a place of quiet, calm where you could worship and focus on who God is? Listen, if you got sheep and cattle and bargaining and people trading stuff and smells all over the place. You th- what do you think that says to you about your worship experience and encountering God? It says this, we don't care if you're here. And we're definitely not gonna make it easy for you to worship God. We're gonna make it harder for you. We don't care if you worship. We care that we get to worship and that it's convenient for us. So Jesus walks in and he sees a bunch of people left out of worship. He sees a bunch of people that can't get to God. He sees a bunch of people that are being told, we don't care if you're here. He sees the outcasts are unwelcomed in his house. He says, I ain't having none of it. And you don't need to picture like this little soft, like, get that table out. You don't need to to picture these little, hey, go ahead and leave. Don't picture that. Like, I want to do it, but I'm afraid I'll break something. Like, listen, I mean, you got to picture. This is aggressive and loud and scary. Listen, the first thing that King Jesus does when he shows up in a town is he makes sure everyone has access to him. He makes sure everyone has access to him. You aren't too dirty to get access to him. He wants you to have access to him. That's why he came. And when the religious establishment makes hurdles for the outsiders to get connected to him, he's going to flip some tables. That didn't measure up to their expectations. You should be killing the Romans, not messing with worship. You should be going after the guards and the centurions and piloting those dudes, not after the money pockets of the people who are helping us worship. And he says, no, I want all of my people, I want all of them to have access. Here's, here's the best illustration I could think of for this. I don't know if you've seen my little, my little guy, Xander. Y'all seen that kid running around here? He's three, he's this big, he's wild, he's cute as snot. Like you gotta understand, cute factor, through the roof. Temper tantrums, also through the roof, okay? But he's cute. Fun, tickly little toddler is what he is. Um, I need you to picture something. Picture that we're at a swimming pool and my cute, crazy, dumb little toddler decides he wants to go swimming without any kind of float he's on. And there's a whole bunch of people in between me and my toddler falling into the pool. I, I made them at your house and you got nice furniture out there I don't know why you have nice furniture by the pool. But maybe that's just how you roll with a nice little vase that you really love that is from your great, great grandmother. You just, you love it. I don't know, but I'm at your house and, and my toddler is there and, and you've got a way of doing things. The moment he falls in the pool, you better pray that you don't have anything valuable in between me and that pool. Cause what am I going to do as a dad? I'm going to flip every table and chair. I'm going to break my back, jumping over things to get my son out of the pool so he doesn't drown. And when Jesus walks into the temple and he sees kids that are drowning, they're drowning in their sin. They don't have access to them. They need someone to to save them. He will flip everything that you love to get those people rescued. That's, That's the heart of our king. And it should be the heart of his people. It should matter to us that there are no hurdles at all for outsiders to get to Jesus. Listen, if they don't like him, that's on them. If they don't like the way he rolls, That's their choice, but we got to make sure that we don't set up our own little personal preferences to make things easy and convenient for us that cause hurdles for outsiders to get connected to Jesus because he'll flip that table all day long, every time, and we should want him to. Listen, I I need you to hear the love that Jesus has for the outsiders because he'll flip tables to get to you. Listen, if the cross isn't a demonstration of that, I don't know what else is. He didn't just flip tables. He was beat and whooped and spat on and mocked and nailed to a cross and hung there suffering to get to you and I. That's significant love. And I hope you feel the love that Jesus has that he will go through everything to save the outsider. That's who we are. We're people who are outsiders. Listen, here's what drives me nuts about this. What drives me nuts about this is we have this king who wants to get to outsiders and churches. Let me go. Let me say churches in Tallahassee. Can I be that specific? I don't. Yeah, I'll say this. I can say this as a matter of fact. Churches in Tallahassee are focused about politics, worship music, programs, Listen, I can name 15 million things that we get focused on and we're not focused on the fact that our king wants the outsiders to get in. We're fighting and spending energy on all sorts of stuff. There's a mission that he gave us. And we're either distracted or disobedient. I don't know which one it is, but our King wants the outsiders to get a chance to get in. And we have to be about that. No more of the distraction and the disobedience when it comes to the mission in Tallahassee. Not at North Florida. We're not going to do it, right? Oh, come on, man. You got you to convince me. Well, Are we going to be distracted and disobedient about the mission? No. Are we going to let hurdles be in the way of the unreached outsiders getting to Jesus? Are we gonna do whatever it takes to make it easy for people who need to be saved to meet him? Yes, that's what, listen, that was still weak. I I get it, it's okay. You're nervous to say things out loud. Like, what if you said the wrong answer? I should have made all the answers yes. That would have been easier, but I didn't. But thank you for at least acknowledging it. Listen, church, that's what we're gonna get after because that's what our king got after when he came. That's what Easter is about, It's about a God that wanted the unreached. He wanted the lost. He wanted the broken. He wanted the needy. He wanted us in our worst state. He didn't say, clean yourself up. He didn't say, make yourself pretty. He said, man, I I would want you, but you kind of stink. He said, "I, I see you covered filth and all and you're the one that I want. That's good news. <laughs> he says, good news for me. But here's what else he did. Look, what else he did. Look at verse 14. It's, it's not just that he flips these tables and goes crazy to make sure those outcasts get access. Look at what he says in verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. So, so you need to picture this. Th- these blind and lame are the same people. They can't get any further in. And there's a line of them lining up. You know what he's doing? They're just lined up. It's it's their lucky day, man. They've all won the lottery. You're lame, boom, you're healed. Come on in. You're blind, boom, you're healed. You're crippled, boom, you're healed. I guess lame and crippled would be the same thing, but you're deaf, boom, you're healed. Like whatever deformity, brokenness, physical ailment you've got, just line up and I'm healing you and getting you in. He's just healing them one at a time. Listen, you need to hear this. He's not just healing them. He's cleaning them and giving them access to God. Like these are the religious that are probably Jews, but they're outsiders because they're just broken. These aren't the Gentile outsiders. These are the the Jewish outsiders. And now they've got access to God. He lets them go all the way in, man. It's it's not just those who are outsiders, those who are broken and on the inside. You don't have to get here and be perfect. Man, he wants you and he wants to change you and he wants to give you access. That's what the church is about. It's a place for the sick to meet Jesus. Man, so, so here's what he does. And, and here's what I love about this. You see him getting going. He's, he's got this list. look at verse 15. I want you to see how the religious are responding to this because here's what he's done. He's coming to town like a king because he is a king. He goes in, he he cleans up worship. This is the second time he's done it, so they're kind of agitated about it. And now he's got this line of people. They're getting healed, and they walk up. They see him healing people. Now, Now listen what happens. Verse 15, but when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did. Okay, they're watching him heal people, and it's amazing. How should you respond to watching that happen in front of you? Over and over. And I mean, the line is out the door and it's getting smaller. And it's, he's not batting 90%. He's batting hundred percent. Every single one that shows up is healed and they move on. How should you respond? Do you believe in God? You're religious. It's not some scandal. I think the tell Think about the real deal standing there, right? How, how should you respond? Should you be happy? Man, you should be. You'd be like, man, that was church today, right? (laughs) Like, we're going to Sonny's after this. Like, I just had, I just saw church, man. There were people getting healed. Jesus shows up. Tables got flipped over. I saw church happen today. That's that's what should be going on in us. We should be thrilled about it. I can't wait till the next time Jesus comes to church and there's a line of people getting. I can't wait for that. It's church. It was amazing. That's exactly what God is like. Man, I'm so glad we saw the power of God today. Maybe you haven't liked Jesus up to this point and you see him healing those people. You think maybe you reconsider your opinion of Jesus at that moment? I'm, I'm literally watching him heal people right in front of me. Oh, man. That's... That's not fake, it's real. Maybe I'm wrong. You, you, maybe the religious leaders who are supposed to know God and his word should be asking, hey, maybe we're missing something here. But you know how they respond? Oh, shouldn't have done that. Okay. You know how they respond? Let me read it to you. They see the wonderful things that he did. Verse 15. And they hear the kids crying out in the temple. little guys, Running around, they're crying out. They don't feel embarrassed to answer the questions out loud, they don't have inhibitions, they don't have whatever it is. They're just it's simple. Here's Jesus, he says he's king, he's healing people, and I'm happy about it because I'm just a kid. It's, I this is obvious. A little kid can figure it out. A little kid knows he can sit there and they're dancing around Jesus saying, Hosanna to the to the son of David. They're like, the king's here to save. The king's here to save. The king is saving and they're being little kids dancing around, loving life. So I've got people being healed and kids loving Jesus. And the religious leaders are like, here's the the word they use is they were indignant. It's a dignified way of being angry. How improper. How untheological, how unacceptable. That's not how we behave in the temple of the living God. So they say, do you hear what they're doing, Jesus? You can't argue with the miracles, but I sure can pick on some kids. You you hear that? You're going to let them get away with that? Jesus turns it on and says, yeah, I heard it. Have you read the Bible? Ooh, okay, we're getting snarky now. I like this. I like it. He's, gonna, he's like, oh, yeah, 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 I can hear them. But have you heard what God says? He says this awesome thing, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. It's like this, it's, like, it's not even a backdoor slap. It's just a straight, direct punch to the throat. They're saying, okay, listen. He says, you, you don't know what the Bible says, religious leaders? Kids get it. They don't have anywhere near the experience or education or knowledge of the word that you know, but they've already figured out, you can't get this? Listen, let me me say this for us. You can live a religious life and miss Jesus when he is right in front of you. I wonder how many of us in this room have missed Jesus? How many of us, for all the religiousness that we've been involved in, for all the programs that we've served in, for all the things that we've done, how many of us have missed the real encounter with the living King Jesus? And I hope that's not you today. I wonder how many of you, you you haven't missed them because of religion, you miss them because of sin. Like you've gotten just dominated by sin. How, How many of you have missed the real Jesus because your life is falling apart? I wonder how many of us in this room have missed the real Jesus. Maybe our life isn't falling apart. Maybe our success and our strength and our finances and us having our act together. Maybe your goodness has caused you to miss Jesus. So can I encourage you? Don't miss him. Don't let your success. Don't let your failures. Don't let your religion, don't let any of that stuff cause you to miss the real Jesus. He wants a relationship with you. That's why King Jesus came and he intended to give you access. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to walk us through a time of response here. I want to share the good news with you. Some of you, you've missed Jesus. For whatever reason, You've never had a real encounter with him. I I wanna tell you how you get that. Here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus, when he came, he was gonna, a week later after the story, he went to a cross and he died. And he died with one goal in mind, to get those of us who were away back to him. He he dealt with all of our sin and all of our stubbornness, all of our self-righteousness. He dealt with all of it on that cross. God punished him on my behalf and on your behalf. He died on that cross, was buried, and three days later, he came back from the dead. That's Easter. He really came back from the dead, a bona fide resurrection. And he says, This, if you want me to save you, want me to adopt you and make you my child, want me to clean you and give you access to God, here's what you've got to do. I don't need you to work hard. I don't need you to clean yourself up. I don't need you to get baptized. I don't need you to go to church. None of those things clean you. I need you to repent, to say I'm done with my sin, and place your trust in what I've. Just ask me to save you. Trust me and let me do all the saving. That's it. If you've never done that, I just want to encourage you right there in your seat. Would you ask Jesus to save you? Some of you, maybe you've been around Jesus, but you haven't actually really encountered him. It's the same for you. It's the same for the most broken person and the cleanest person. We all need Jesus to save us just as much, and it's done in the same way. Listen, for for some of you, you've been saved, but but you've been busy. You've been busy for Jesus and you've missed him. Listen, would you just confess, God, I've been busy and I just, I don't want to miss you anymore. I want to be with you and walk with you every day. Listen, and for some of you, here's the other response. Would you just praise him that he's a king that wants to give you access? He wants you as a son or a daughter. He wants to clean you and bring you in and you can't get away from it. Listen, will you spend a moment praising him that that he's that kind and gracious and merciful? Heavenly Father, God, you see our hearts. You always have, you always will. And God, I pray that as we prepare our hearts for Easter that we would look at you and we would see you as an awesome king. And we would see you as a king that comes to give us access and to clean us and to make us sons and daughters. And God, I'm praying you would make us a people that would not miss you for all our activity, all our goodness, all our religion, all our sin. God, don't let us miss you. I pray to be a people that would really meet you, the real Jesus. And I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.